0: What scripture reminds us of over and over again is that we, we cannot do enough. That is clear. We've, we've done our part to really mess things up. And the only thing that we can hope for is that someone outside ourselves can come and set that right. Someone who is the ultimate, who lived a life of perfection can take on our sin, our shame for us, be our righteousness because we do not have the righteousness in and of ourselves. That's the kindness of God moving towards us in Jesus.
1: I am reading this morning from Acts, chapter 28, verses 1 through 16. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Puteoli. And there we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. You may be seated.
0: Good morning. Good morning. It took, it took a lot of restraint for Meredith not to throw out a rubber snake as she <laughs> read through that. We were joking about that, and I'm like, I didn't know who's going to sit in the front row, if they could handle it or not. Man, I've, I've, uh, I've dreamt about snakes this week. I have all sorts of stuff, so we're, we're going to have some fun this morning. Uh, but as we jump into this passage, one of the themes that we're going to see kind of unfold is, is this unusual kindness, And as I was thinking through this and the unusual kindness of our creator towards us, I started to feel a little bit uh, like it was cliche in the midst of everything we see around us. I when mean, we look outside and we have this reminder of the smoke that just continues to linger in our community. And we don't have to look much further in our world to see the smoke that seems to be lingering all around as we're praying for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, as we see the devastation within Haiti. There's, there's so many things unfolding. The divisiveness that we see within our, our own state, our own country, there's, there's so much happening. And so to speak of kindness feels almost passive, except when we see how God moves towards us in his strength. And so I want us to pay attention to this unusual kindness because when we're met by it, it really does exceed our expectations and it changes us. My family and I, this summer, we had the opportunity to, to get away for a little bit, uh, and we, we were in Hawaii. And it was just a great time uh, as a family. And, and while we were there, we went to this Hawaiian barbecue uh, spot. It was kind of a, a locals-only spot that Rachel had discovered. And so while we were having a meal and eating, she noticed somebody wearing a Buffalo Bills hat. Now, she's, she's a Buffalo Bills fan. And so she can't restrain herself in those moments. And she just yelled out, go, Bills! Well, that one statement led to a conversation with this family that spanned probably 10 minutes. Uh, they, they were locals from, from the island. They had lived there a long time. They had kind of chosen, well, he had chosen the Bills because he said, in the 80s, I was looking for a team. I didn't want to pick the front runners. I wanted to pick a really bad team, which made me laugh because Rachel was like, oh, they were, they were terrible in the 80s. He said, I wanted to pick a bad team that I could grow with. And so we, we had this conversation, and they're telling us all the things that we need to see, the places we need to go, the things we need to check out. And it was incredible. And there's this place just down the road called Leonard's that makes these malasadas, these homemade donuts, kind of dumpling things that are unbelievable, and powdered sugar all over top of them. And they're like, you have to go down there, and you have to try these but it was it was closing at eight, and you have to make it there just in time, And so we're like okay we're, we're we're heading down, and so we go, we get in line. The owner of the store comes out and he has this laminated picture and he, he gives it to the person, like two people behind us, and he says, "You're the last person in the line. Maybe we'll see if we get to you right Anyone who was after them they they were like what? They're like, he's like, sorry, we're not going to get to you. And they just left. They had to leave the line. So we're like, oh, we just made it. We're like, we're in line. This is a good sign. And so we're going through and we get there and we get the malasadas. But, but what blew me away is as we're getting these, we, we walk outside and, and my kids, they were waiting outside while I was inside. And they said, he said, dad, that family's back. They, they wanted to talk to us. And I, and I said, okay so I I go out and I see this family there again and and I'm talking to them and I could tell they really didn't want to talk to me they wanted to talk to Rachel because she was the Bills fan Uh, and so she comes out and they said hey we just we didn't know we didn't know if you were going to make it on time to get these we're so glad you did but actually we went to another place that we knew of just to ensure you got to taste these and so we brought them for you right (laughs) Right, and we're like standing in the middle of of Leonard's, and people are, and we're like, (laughs) you know, because this kindness so far exceeded our expectation. I mean, it would be one thing for someone to say, hey, you should really go and try that. Or maybe we'll walk down with you. But to be like, I don't know if they're going to make it. And we just want to make sure that their experience is so good. We're going to go out of our way. And so they're like, well, now we figured if you did make it, that would be great. But now you can compare and contrast. And so they just like left us with this abundance of malasadas, which was wonderful. And then they just walked away. That was it. And we were met by this just unusual kindness that just stuck with us. I mean, as a family, we were just soaking this in of the Lord, you just blessed us in this totally unexpected way. Because that's what can happen with an active kindness that moves towards you. It can catch you off guard. It can disarm you. It can overwhelm you. And again, in our passage today, we see the breeze blowing throughout that brings the unusual kindness of God, a kindness that meets us in all of life and a kindness that is to flow from us. So let's jump in to, to verse one of chapter 28. And it says this, after we were safely brought through, we learned that the island was called Malta. And so we find ourselves now on the island of Malta. It's a beautiful island that you can go and visit today. I was actually talking with someone this week who was sharing with me their adventures in Malta and just the beauty of it and and their, their visit there. But you can see where Malta is on this map, just to, to give you some location as to where it is. They had started in Crete, they, they got blown out of the harbor there. They're blown about 450 miles off course, but amazingly still on course. They hit to Malta, uh, and as they land in Malta, they, they're not realizing where they are. See, the sailors would have recognized the port of Malta, but they're on the backside of the island, so they're still trying to get their bearings. So when it says, we learned that the island was called Malta, they they didn't realize it right off the bat. Now, if you were not with us last week or you haven't been following along, uh, there was a massive storm that Paul and the, the rest of the, the ship, the 276 aboard that ship, experienced. All hope seemed lost throughout this whole journey, and yet God, in his kindness, he rescued not only Paul, but the entirety of the it's 276 people on board that boat. But where we come now is that this boat that had been blown apart off the shores of Malta, everyone was told to swim for it or grab hold of a plank and make their way over there. They're now starting to stream up on the shore, which would be a pretty uh, crazy sight if you were just walking along the the shoreline. And in verse 2, we read that the native people showed us an unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and it was cold. So again, just take this scene in your mind. Don't just blow past this. You're walking along the beach or you're, you're working on the shores of where your home is and suddenly you see people starting to come out of the sea. That would be a little bit unnerving. Most likely, they'd look pretty haggard and hungry and well-worn because they had been at sea for a long time. They had not been eating well. They'd been tossed to and fro. They're probably trying to find their legs as they stand up on the shore because for some of them, that swim would have taken everything out of them. And so what we're told is that these people from Malta, their first instinct, their first movement was towards those who were there showing an unusual kindness. They kindled a fire and they welcomed everybody in because it had begun to rain and it was cold. The, 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 the coldness was getting into their bones. They were just in the sea and now it's raining and cold and so a fire is kindled to, to warm them. But those native to the island, they, they met them with this unusual kindness, kindness. The word here for kindness is philanthropia. In the, in the Greek. It, it's a love moving toward humanity. It, it's a compound word made up of two different words. Uh, philos, which means friend. And anthropos, which means humanity or mankind. So it's to be a friend towards humanity. To move towards humanity. Now this word, philos, is a word that Jesus used often and it was often used of him. He was called a friend of sinners in Luke 7.34. And Jesus also said that if you are my friend, if you are my philos, you will do as I command. You will follow after me. But here we see this word philanthropia. It's the word that we get our English word philanthropy from, which is defined as a desire to promote the welfare of others. And so the locals come out and they show this unusual kindness towards all who are a part of the shipwreck. They're welcomed into the island. A fire is kindling for them to come and warm themselves by. This would be the ultimate greeting after what you had just experienced. And so as these locals come out, they exceed the expectations of this sorry group of people coming out of the sea. The question is, where's Paul in this moment? What's his experience You know, is he coming out of the water? Is he high-fiving everyone? Is he working the crowd, being like, I told you we were going to be okay. I told you we were going to be okay. No, instead, what do we see? Verse 3, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire. Just going to stop right there before we get to the fun part. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire. What's Paul doing in this moment? He's serving. He's just experienced everything that everyone else has experienced. There's 276 people on this boat. Surely there was somebody else who could have been gathering sticks in this moment. After all, it was Paul who called everyone to take courage in the Lord, to to, to kind of bolster themselves. He'd done his part, but we see even still, in the midst of this, as they're coming out, his movement towards those around him is this unusual kindness. He's helping to build that fire so that others can feel the warmth of it. This just becomes who Paul is. It's what we've seen of him over and over again. He continues to serve. So Luke continues on. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Now Paul is, is serving. He's taking care of those around him. He's throwing a bundle of wood onto the fire. When a viper comes out because of the heat and just fastens, just clings, just fangs out. I mean, this is the stuff of nightmares for some of us in this room. You people who are not afraid of snakes, I don't know what's wrong with you. It is biblical. It is biblical to hate snakes, right? We must crush their heads. That is what we must do. And in this moment, this snake comes leaping out, latches on to Paul. And the word that's used to describe the snake, it it denotes that it was a, a venomous snake. But there's a problem here. Well, for some historians, there's a, a problem when we look at the island of Malta, if you were to go there today, you actually won't discover any poisonous snakes. There's none there. They've been, they've been eradicated. And some people go, so this could not have been a poisonous snake. There, there aren't poisonous snakes there. But I, but I go, history, uh, things are moving along. And, and if you just take our state as an example, uh, what, what is on our state flag? A bear. What kind of a bear? A bear grizzly bear how many grizzly bears do we have in California zero unless you go to the zoo right a hundred years ago there was grizzly bears but we we took care of those so that's where I see the the problem here isn't that oh was this really a venomous snake no we look at the reaction of the people who lived on that island and that's going to tell us everything we need to know about what kind of snake this was that's fastened to the hand of Paul verse 4 When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand. I mean, just the image. He's like throwing the fire and it's just dripping off him, wiggling around. Ugh. Fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. And so what we're discovering is that these these people from Malta, the, the locals there, known to be a generous and affluent people, they were living by what? A, a very karmic view of life. They see Paul get bit by a snake and they go, oh man, he must be a murderer because he survives this shipwreck and now he dies, ah, justice. And the word here, justice, could be capitalized as in the, the goddess justice is now serving him his due is what they're, they're saying. This view of life was very common. If you do good things, then good things will come back to you. If you do bad things, then bad things will come back to you. There's a a story recorded in a a Greek anthology. And it says this. There was a, a shipwrecked mariner had escaped the whirlwind and the fury of the deadly seas. And as he was lying on the Libyan sand not far from the beach, deep in his last sleep, naked and exhausted by the unhappy wreck, a baneful viper slew him. Why did he struggle with the waves in vain, escaping then the fate that was his lot on the land? This is a question that the people would ask. Well, surely, if he escaped the waves and then was bitten by a viper and died, then death was was his due. He had deserved that in some way, shape, or form by his actions. And so the same of these local people, as they're looking at Paul, they're like, well, he must deserve to die. To survive that wreck, only to instantly be bitten by a snake. And I think oftentimes when we think of karma or that view of like, hey, I'm just trying to do good things so that more good things come my way, we we think of that as as something past, but we see that all around us. We see that actually sneak into our own thinking. And sometimes we kind of like, we get excited about it, right? Someone comes up on you on the road and they're, they're real close to you or they peel around you and they're, they're yelling at you and this and that and they, they fly forward and suddenly you hear the, the siren sound, right? And that person gets a ticket and you're like, yeah, that's right. That's what you get, right? <laughs> Boom. Because you do bad things, right? And But if you do good things, then you'll be okay. It's not how it works, This view of life, if we follow that view of life, it leaves us trying to balance the scales forever. If we just do enough, then we're going to be okay. What scripture reminds us of over and over again is that we, we cannot do enough. That is clear. We've, we've done our part to really mess things up. And the only thing that we can hope for is that someone outside ourselves can come and set that right. Someone who is the ultimate, who lived a life of perfection, can take on our sin, our shame for us. Be our righteousness because we do not have the righteousness in and of ourselves. That's the kindness of God moving towards us in Jesus. Jesus. But these people see Paul get bit and they're just waiting for him to die. The description here is actually kind of comical when you look at it. He, verse five, he, however, shook off the creature, right, just shakes it off, into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a God. I mean, things... Kind of flip-flop pretty quickly here. But I, I love the simplicity of this moment. He just, he just shakes the viper off, right? Like unfazed, just shakes the viper off, and he continues doing what he's doing. And while he's probably just continuing to grab more firewood to keep that, or that fire going for those around it, what are the locals doing? They're like grabbing their popcorn, and they're like watching him, waiting for him to swell up, right? They're like, what's going to happen? Is he going to die? Because that instinct hasn't died either, though. Right, whereas now we would be having our phones out, like, are we gonna catch this? Am I gonna be able to blast this? And so there's waiting for the worst to come. And what what's Paul doing? Just continues on, continues moving forward. I love it. He doesn't stop. But after waiting and recognizing, okay, this guy isn't dying, he's not swelling up, nothing seems to be happening, it says that they they changed their mind. Now, the phrase here, change their mind, is not what we often see within, within Scripture where it's a change of mind, a repentance. This is a different Greek word here. This is kind of a fickle, just like a flippant. Wow, they just suddenly changed their mind. And they say, Paul, Paul's a god. I mean, that's a quick turnaround from murderer. He's a murderer. He must be worthy of death. And now he's a god. I mean, in this passage, we see our own society so clearly of how quickly we just flip back and forth, back, we love this person, we don't love this person. This person's great, cancel them, don't listen to anything that they have to say. That's what these people are showing us in this moment, they're just watching Paul, waiting for him to die, and suddenly he doesn't die, and they're like, he's a God. See, the danger of this is when we we root ourselves in a, a moment, and not in our maker, See, Paul, throughout all of this, what do we see? He is rooted in his maker. So the storm comes, the enemy comes, opposition comes, a viper comes. He doesn't panic in that moment. He roots himself still in his maker and continues forward. But we watch this group of people from Malta. as They're just flip-flopping back and forth. Because if, if what we're saying is we're going to align with the people from Malta that if you do good things, then more good things are coming your way, and that's the goal of life, then what do we do with people that we know who, who love the Lord that have experienced deep tragedy? I've walked alongside many of you in this room, have experienced deep loss and hardship just this year. But what I've seen in that is not a disobedience to God. What I've seen is you grow in your obedience towards him. That you've held on to your maker. That you've allowed him to speak in and through you in those moments. Now we don't ascribe to a karmic view of life. We ascribe to the cosmic maker. The one who holds all things together. Who's come for us in his unusual kindness. And so Paul. Bit by a viper, just shakes it off and continues on. Now there's some symbolism we see in this. Of a viper, a serpent, having no power over Paul. Jesus said in Luke 10, 19, he said, Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. We see Paul living this out. Now, I want to be cautious in this moment. What I'm not saying, because some will carry this too far, is if you get bit by a rattlesnake when you're walking by the Yuba River, don't just be like, I'm fine. (laughs) Go get some medical help. But when you're bit by the enemy and you will be bit by the enemy and he will fasten himself onto you, what I encourage you to do is do your best Taylor Swift and you shake it off. (laughs) Because Jesus, who has come, he's crushed the enemy. He's crushed the head of our enemy. So when the enemy fastens on to you, do not fasten your attention on the enemy. Fasten your attention on Christ. Too often, we pay too much attention. Now, what I'm not saying is the enemy is not real, and we shouldn't, no, the enemy is real. But what I've seen is people develop a fascination with the enemy. And so suddenly they are so scared of the enemy that all their thoughts are going towards him. Remember, we have a great king who has come and conquered our enemy. So let's fasten our minds to him. Let's cling to him. Let's pay attention to his goodness, his kindness towards us, his change within us. The same is true of those that we would deem an enemy of our cause and the world around us. Sometimes we pay so much attention to the actions of our enemies that we're we're not doing anything for the cause of Christ. Let us continue to keep our minds fastened on Christ. Let that be our motive in all things. And what we see here is that Paul just continues to walk forward trusting in the promise that he's gonna get to Rome. Jesus had told him, you're going to get to Rome. So that viper comes, and Paul's like, I'm going to get to Rome. Because Jesus told me I was going to get to Rome. So do not fasten your attention on the enemy. Fasten your attention on Christ. Verse 7, picking back up. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island, named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. And so again, we're, we're unsure in the language here. Uh, most likely this was Paul and a few of his companions, not all 276 people coming and receiving the kindness of this Publius, but he was uh, a man of importance on the island. And we're, again, we're shown that they, were, they, they had hospitality, that he takes care of them, he entertains them for three days. I mean, just imagine you've, you've experienced the shipwreck that you have. and Now you come on some strange island. You have no idea what you're going to experience. And the first welcome you get is a fire waiting for you. And now someone on the island takes you into their home and they just begin to care for you over three days time. We see this kindness towards all those involved. Verse 8, it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, he healed him. Now, Publius' father was ill with a fever, with with dysentery. There's what's known in Malta as Malta fever, a fever that could last up to four months, could have effects on your body for over two years And what they discovered was that this came through some microbe in goat milk uh, that had gone awry and and, and affected many people. Now, we don't know if this is for sure what it is, but the description kind of leads us to think that that is what was happening here. But regardless of the cause, this man's father lay ill. And what do we see Paul do? He prays and he lays hands on him and the man is healed. What we continue to see throughout uh, the book of Acts, but throughout the life of Paul, is that at each detour of his promised arrival in Rome, Paul is being used by God. He continues to be present, even in the midst of all the, the chaotic movements here and there. He begins, he's, he stays present to the people around. Him. He meets the needs of those around him. He allows God to just use him as a conduit for his goodness. But what does this story remind us of? What where, where do, do we feel some echoes of? Well, for me, it's, it's when Jesus came to the house of Peter in Luke four thirty eight. We read this, and and he arose and left the synagogue and he entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf and he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her and immediately she rose and began to serve them. What does Jesus do? He rebukes the fever, she's healed, she gets up and what does she do? She now reciprocates and the kindness she has received, she just begins to live out. But notice the difference in what Paul does. Paul doesn't just rebuke the fever. No, he, he goes to the Lord. He prays to the Lord, and it's the Lord's power in and through him that heals the man. I think this is a subtle reminder here. Just just a few verses before, what were the people of Malta saying about Paul? He's a god. He's not a murderer, he's a god. And in this moment, we're we're reminded, no, 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 Paul is not a God, but he knows the God who is sovereign over all things, and that's who he prays to, and that's where his strength, that's where his power comes from. And so Paul prays, and God moves through him. And the credit belongs here, not to Paul, but to the power of the Holy Spirit working through Paul. And so God uses Paul to heal the man, and much like when Jesus began healing, word spread quickly. And we're told in verse 9, when this had taken place, The rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. And they also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. So word spreads quickly. Anyone who has some sort of ailment starts to come to Paul and God does a mighty work on this island of of Malta. And we're told that they... Honored us greatly. And, and so, again, the kindness that they receive, they, they reciprocate, they, they, they want to do something in response to what they've experienced. And so, it, they, they put on board whatever they needed. Now, we read that, and again, we kind of jump past it quick, but 276 people are on board this ship, and they're supplying all the needs for that. That's significant. That's an act of generosity to care for these people as they they head out. So one healing leads to many more as all these people come out of the woodwork. And then now God is is moving as he provides for this group that is going to make their way towards Rome. Again, no small kindness in this moment. And, And what we see again is the unusual kindness of God is meant to carry forward. Now, what do I mean? Because I want to be careful in how I say this, that it's not we do acts of kindness just to feel good. There was a movement a while back of just pay it forward, and and there's some good that comes out of those things. But no, we do acts of kindness because when we do acts of kindness, when we live in that moment, we resemble our Creator. We bear His image well. That is who He is. And his kindness and his goodness and his movement towards humanity. And so when we enact that same thing, we we look like our Father who is in heaven. Kindness is is generative, meaning it brings new possibilities. It brings new life. And we participate in the generative, life-giving work of Christ when we resemble him, when we act as, as he lived on this earth. And again, I, I just want to make sure this isn't a tipping of the scales. This isn't like, well, I received this. So I, no, this isn't kindness for kindness sake. This is kindness for Christ's sake. That what we have received from him, we cannot keep to ourselves. It needs to spill out of us. And the kindness that he met us, even as we were enemies of him, we need to meet others in this world. And we cannot do that in our own strength. But we can do that in his And we resemble him when we allow that unusual kindness of God to carry forward within us. And so now we see Paul's moving ever closer to Rome. I mean, the beginning of Acts, we we read, they were to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and soon to the end of the earth. And we're, we're getting there. Verse 11. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. And so after wintering in Malta, waiting for the seas to calm so they could make their way on the journey, they board a ship from from Egypt. And on it is the twin gods, the Gemini, Castor and Pollux, uh, these gods that were considered to be the, the protectors of the travelers of the seas. Now, you can almost feel the smirk of Paul as he gets on the boat. He's like, you guys have nothing on the one who really controls the seas. Because if you've been paying any attention at all to Luke, he's making it very clear that the protector and the provider of Paul's journey has been none other than God himself. And we see that throughout this story. So verse, 11, or verse 12, putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium and after one day a south wind sprang up and on the second day we came to Puteoli and there we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days and so we came to Rome. That last little bit just kind of slides in there but, and so we came to Rome. A promise of God fulfilled. Paul, you will see Rome. You will, you will get to Rome. And we watch this journey unfold. From this map, we can see the final leg of Paul's journey as he bounces around all over until they finally make their way into Rome. And as he's making his way into Rome, news of his coming, news of Paul's getting to Rome is starting to spread. And we're told in verse 14 that there were found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. For seven days. Now, again, we don't have clear enough language to know of, is this everybody? All who are making their way to Rome, all who had been on that ship, is this just Paul and a few others? I think there's, there's some indications that it's everybody. By Roman law, Julius, who is in charge of all this command, could, could ask of anybody, could impose himself on anybody, that you need to take care of my people, you need to give us rations. And for the journey that they were about to take, they needed those seven days to really gear up because it was a steep climb to get to Rome. But again, we see something within this. Who was it that's caring for this group? It's the brothers and sisters in Christ. It's followers of Jesus who step in and they take them in and they care for them for seven days, an entire week. And as I was imagining this, all I could think of was the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, 41, when he says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. This, this phrase was spoken to those who followed Jesus. And it was a call to literally go the extra mile. See, in that day, if a Roman soldier said, I need you to carry my pack for a mile, you were required to do so. What Jesus was saying was something un- Radical. They ask you to do it one mile, you take it two. You show that person an unusual kindness and you go even further. Now there's some some subversiveness in there in Jesus because Jesus is always really good in that and that, that that was actually illegal in some ways to go the extra mile. And so he's kind of messing with everybody, which I love that about Jesus. He just messes with all of us. But what do we see is the people of God are following in the way of Jesus. And when they are imposed upon, they respond with a kindness and a provision. A full week. And then they come to Rome. Verse 15, and the brothers there, when they heard about this, came as far as the forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. Paul, again, on this journey, is assured by the brothers and sisters he meets along the way that he is not alone. I think this is one of the greatest gifts that Paul receives in these moments. That there's a community of believers following in the way of Jesus, and this gave Paul great courage. And what do we see? That the Lord comes alongside Paul in all his different trials. And at one point, Jesus speaks to Paul. At another point, an angel speaks to Paul. And now God is using his people to speak to Paul. And so Paul and his companions are making their way up the Via Appia, the road that would lead them to Rome. And from the forum of Appius, it was about 43 miles. And from the three taverns, it was 33 miles to Rome. But it's easy for us in the midst of this, to to miss what one author calls the vindication of Paul here. See, it was quite common in Roman culture that when a, a returning general was coming back home victorious, that people wouldn't wait in Rome for him to get there, that they would begin to come out and meet him along the way. And what we see even in the language that is used is that Luke is describing this very process that as Paul is going in, a captive for Christ into Rome, he's returning and going victorious in Christ. As the brothers and sisters come out to greet him, to pray for him, to come alongside him, to speak hope and encouragement to so that by the time Paul gets to Rome, he is filled with courage. What I I love about this is it's the reminder that we're not meant to travel alone. That we need each other's voices in one another's lives. So often when people tell me, oh, I was so bummed to miss church. I didn't make it this week. My, My response has become more and more, and we missed you. Because because you bring something different when you come here and you don't know the blessing that you are to others in the same way that often when you come to church, you don't know the blessing that you're going to receive on the other end from somebody else. That's the beauty of following in the way of Jesus together that we can encourage one another as we face the various things in life that we walk through. But there's something else that I notice in this passage or something maybe uh, that's, that's not there that stands out to me. Luke, who can be so descriptive at times, can give us so many details, as we're getting closer and closer to Rome, what we are not hearing about is the massive structures and the archways that they're walking under. He's not speaking to the grandeur of this place that he is coming into. There is no shine given to the Roman culture. There's no declaration of its grandeur. Rather, the the narrative stays focused on the grandeur and the provision of God's providence and God's promise. Paul was told that he would get to Rome and picking up in verse 16, that promise is fulfilled. The story that is being told is to God's glory and God's glory alone. And so in verse 16, we read, and when we came in to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that guarded him. For the greetings and the encouragement that Paul received and all the the kindness we see of the Lord in the midst of this passage, it's here that we're again reminded that Paul is still a prisoner. He's been allowed some freedom throughout this journey. Yes, he's being treated with kindness and respect as a Roman citizen, but he still is under the, the, the protection and under the imprisonment of Rome. Now he's allowed to stay by himself at his own cost and there would be soldiers there that would take shifts with him, watching him, monitoring him, at times chained to him. But what most of us would see as a detriment, Paul sees as an opportunity. His writings in Philippians remind us this, in Philippians 1.13, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Those soldiers had no idea what they were in for when they were assigned to Paul. But I guarantee that the conversations did not stray far from the goodness and the unusual kindness of Christ. That over and over again, he was proclaiming to them this hope that he clung to, this hope that he held to. And so, after all of this storm, we see the, the movement of God. We see it in a, in a fire that's kindled, waiting for those who are just haggard and tired and weary. We see the unusual kindness in the, the failing of the venom of a snake. We see the unusual kindness of God in a, the healing of a man stricken with fever. We see it in the, a boat that's loaded up with goods for everyone. We see it in the sweet fellowship of, of friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. And we see it in the fulfillment of God's promise to Paul. Throughout each of these verses, what we feel is the warmth of the rising sun. And even as Paul faces attack, there's a reminder that no enemy has power over Paul. Paul. Just as the enemy has no power over those who who call upon the name of Jesus. We will experience trials. We will experience pushback. We will experience opposition. We will experience vipers of all kinds. We will experience pain. The enemy will come. But in those moments, do not fasten your attention on the enemy, but fasten your attention on Christ. Keep your mind fixed on him, towards him. Do not get distracted from who he is. And let us remember that the unusual kindness of our creator, that this unusual kindness of God is meant to carry forward. We're not to be stingy with this. The generosity that we've received from him, we are to to give freely, not to our name, but to his glory. And then finally, may we be reminded that the unusual kindness of our creator is seen most fully in Christ. See, the word for, for kindness is, is used again in another passage. In Titus 3. And I want to read this whole section because it just reminds us, it orients us again towards the unusual kindness that Christ has met us with, that God has, has come after us with beginning in verse 3 of chapter 3 of Titus, it says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. We can all find ourselves in that passage. But when the goodness... And loving kindness, the movement of God towards humanity, that loving movement of God towards humanity, of God, our Savior appeared and he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The unusual kindness of God has shown itself in Christ, in Jesus. That's how God moved towards us in full, in the entirety, in the completion of his goodness coming after us. That God in his great love gave his son for us. And that this unusual kindness of our creator is seen most fully in Christ. May we not forget where we've come from. May we not forget who we were before Christ. May we not forget his loving kindness towards us. And in the same way, may we not cling to that as though nobody else can enter into it. May we carry forward this unusual kindness. As we fasten our hearts to Christ, making much of him in all things, come what may, knowing that he holds us and he has us. This is the unusual kindness of God towards us. That while we were lost in our foolishness and our our own pursuits, that he made possible life with him through Christ. I don't know where you find yourselves this morning, but I would encourage you to root yourself there. To stop, to remember, to reflect upon that change, that kindness that moved towards you. It is so easy to forget it in the midst of the chaos all around us. It is so easy for us to fasten our attention solely on all that is broken and forget that there is one who has come to undo all the brokenness. There's one who has come who did not stay out of the fray but stepped into it. And he begins by stepping into our own mess. So may we fasten our hearts to the unusual kindness of God towards us. And may we live in unusual kindness towards others, not for our glory but for his. You pray with me. Father, as we see this movement of just reprieve, um, rest, restoration in the midst of this passage. God, I I pray for many in this room that you would meet them in the same way. That in these moments you would restore a hope. You would restore a strength as only you can. That you would... uh, Remind us of your kindness towards us. Lord, it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. It's your kindness that draws us in. And so, Father, we recognize that you you showed that most fully in Christ. You provided a path for us to step into life with you so, Lord, as we follow after you, as we fasten our hearts and our minds to you, would we carry forward and live a life of unusual kindness? A life that it, it can only be lived in your strength and not our own. Father, for those places where we just feel we have nothing left to give, would you meet us there? Would you allow us to to walk through a storm, to get up on the shores and continue to kindle fires for others? Why? Because we, we hold fast to the truth that you are with us and you have overcome. Jesus, we thank you for all that you have done. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Father, as we close this time, we recognize your continued work within us. Lord, we thank you for that, that you are not done with us. And our prayer is that you would continue to have your way with us, that you would shape and mold us to form more and more into your image. But Lord, would we receive your kindness? Would we step into that truth that we can't hold this together on our own, that we cannot balance the scales in our own strength, that we need you? And Jesus, we thank you that in your loving kindness, you came for us. And you offer us hope in life. We love you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we close this morning, um, if you need prayer, we'll be down front. If you need prayer online, we'd love to pray with you there as well. If you want to talk around who Jesus is, we will always make time for that. Uh, If you are someone who serves in our community, I know this is already mentioned, but if you're one of our volunteers and you're giving them your time and attention, we're going to be meeting back here at 2 o'clock this afternoon just for a special time together uh, just to to encourage one another but also look towards uh, where God is leading us. So I encourage you to be back for that. But as you leave, let me just read this one more time because it's easy to miss this. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hatred, hated by others and hating one another. But when? But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. May you step into the kindness of our creator that is found most fully in Christ. May you embrace this kindness. And may we live this kindness as you go in his grace and his peace. God bless you.